0: Our next film is a film that needs no introduction. It is Chinatown, a 1974 neo noir mystery film directed by Roman Polanski, screenplay by Robert Town, starring Jack Nicholson and Faye Dunaway. And it is about. And John the, Houston. And John Houston. And it is about uh, the water crisis in 1930s Los Angeles and a mystery J. main character. Jack Nicholson, J.J. Giddis. a woman, Evelyn Mulray, hires him to find, thinks her thinks his <laughs> her husband is cheating on her and hires him to find the girl, although it is most certainly not that simple. Would that it were so simple. This is on the BFI sight and sound list at number 84, I believe. That's just off the top of my head, so don't quote me on that. Hmm. Uh, Chandler. Yeah. Oh, what were you gonna say? Well,
1: well I was gonna China. say uh, before we get into this, did you know that there's a sequel to Chinatown?
0: I did know, yes. And what do you know it that like it was Jake's... directed by Jack Nicholson? I did know that too, yes.
1: Yeah, it's called Two Jakes. Oh, yes, like the that. Two Jakes. Two Jakes. I have nothing to add. <laughs> Nineteen ninety. I don't. Yeah, I don't need it. I, I. Part of me is like, maybe I should watch it, and then I saw a few like scenes, and like, why? It's like it's like a twenty ten, the sequel to two thousand one. Mm-hmm. With Roy Scheider and John Lithgow.
0: <laughs> well, at least it's at least that's not a two thousand something. Two thousand one space, space, space travesty. travesty.
1: Yeah, that. <laughs> I've never seen Nate turn off a movie quicker. Nate, Nate's tolerance for shit, I feel like, is higher than ours. Maybe mm-hmm. just respect two thousand. Well, maybe not. You guys did show me *Oasis of the Zombies*.
0: I think Nate and I have a similar level of tolerance, in that one, I was willing to give it another few minutes.
1: I just thought it would have been funny if I would have that, seen that that before seeing the actual 2001, which I still haven't seen. But yes, Chinatown. Chinatown is a great movie. <laughs> it's one of those movies that like if they tell me, you know, it's a they ask me what's your opinion on it and I say it's great and they're like, "Why?" And my only reasoning is cuz
0: it's great. <laughs> my only issue with Chinatown is that you seem intent on giving it four and a half stars. Yep. <laughs> instead of the more appropriate five stars.
2: Uh, you In know,
0: fact, Chinatown is one of the maybe five movies that, if I could give it six stars, wow. I would do it's, so.
1: What are the other ones? I'm just curious.
0: I don't know. <laughs> I know they exist. <laughs> 2001 might be one. Citizen Kane. Yo, Jimbo. No. No, Fane I halt- mean, like, calendar. stuff that, like, beyond my perception of the film chinatown isn't even one of my favorite movies yeah
1: i would give that to um lawrence of arabia
0: Mm. parasite maybe it's just every time i watch chinatown it it is for what citizen kane is for cinema yeah chinatown is for like the noir genre like it is an encyclopedia which
1: is interesting not entirely it, it comes out black and white but. 30 years after the heyday of the genre
0: right right but it is i think the best example of the noir genre and you know they call it neo noir but it it's the same yeah, see, thing just later yeah
1: see that that is something that always uh, fascinates me is the term neo noir when i think of it i think of things like inherent vice or brick you know things that they are noirs, but they do something wildly different with the noir formula, mm. thus earning the name neo noir. Fargo's a neo noir. Technically, there's okay, noirish elements. That's interesting. Um, but w- you know, Chinatown is only called neo noir because it was made later. Because it and is he, like, not even
0: that much later. No, twenty five years maybe. Here, here's the thing. I, I think it's that they. Hollywood went through a rena- renaissance <laughs> in the uh, 60s and 70s. Yeah. With, you know, started with like Bonnie and Clyde and stuff like that. So a few years after that, critics felt like, oh, this is a new era of filmmaking. And yeah. so we need to put the word Neo onto it. Yeah. And then when we're now that we're here in 2020 with some more perspective on, on the the scope of film which will, you know, obviously continue to grow as time goes on. It seems less distinct from those previous noirs than it might have first originally seemed when it was released.
1: Yeah, but I do agree. It's like the most perfect noir. It is noir, capital N, noir. Um, And, you know, I struggle to find why I don't feel as strongly about this movie as everyone else does, because it's one of those things where, There's no flaws. It's a pretty perfect movie. It's it's kind of the gold standard for screenplays. Like when people say you know best screenplays ever written, this one gets thrown around a lot, and it is, because it is the most efficient. But it's so efficient with its plotting, but it somehow manages to never stop the story for character development or things like that. It incorporates Mm -hmm. the character development into the plotting so well that everything is happening to you at once, but you never are aware of it.
0: When you start to break the script apart and look at it, it you get the sense like it, it almost it's two clockwork. <laughs> like it's so precisely one thing after another, domino falling after domino, yeah. To a third act and all that and structured, and yet it never it never feels. Yeah too clockwork, too precise, because it does focus on character and there's a lot of kind of meat and emotion to it that yeah prevents it from being just kind of a straight mystery.
1: Like I said, like with other noirs, like I typically can't recall the plot because it's always like boom, 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 boom. This is a pretty straight line and this movie is really easy to understand, but it still pulls the rug out from under you quite a few times. Um, but it's never confusing. To compare it to the, an- another, like th- <sighs> okay, so as somebody who reads a lot of scripts, I think the three most perfect scripts I've ever read are Chinatown, Fargo, and Network. Uh, Chinatown and Fargo are similar in that they're both like noirs, but Chinatown this is this is the the narrative progression of Chinatown. It is just nothing that you see is tangentially related to the characters of the plot. It is everything you see is directly carrying you into the next thing. Whereas Fargo is kind of like, like samurai Ooh. sword. Preciseness. Yes. Fargo is kind of like, Ooh, hold on. I'm going to go talk to Mikey and Aguita. <laughs> back out. Oh, hold on. I'm going to have this conversation where it's just some dude shoveling his driveway, talking to a cop about Steve Buscemi. But it Which never... makes the
0: film even better.
1: Yeah, exactly. Chinatown doesn't really have. Maybe that's why I don't find it as interesting as other movies is because they never have those little flashes of personality. It's all clockwork. It's precision. It's structure. And there is a lot to respect about that. It's just not my personal preference. I like to see a little bit of expression, creativity. Not that there isn't there. There is mastery, not so much creativity. Yeah.
0: I think this gets to the heart of what each of us try really appreciate about film. Yeah, is that I <laughs> am someone who appreciates just brutally efficient filmmaking <laughs> and this is that, like, you can take efficient. apart and look at the uh, the the underneath, the clockworkness underneath. And you are someone who appreciates more chaos and absurdity and more personality in that yeah. way.
1: You know what's interesting which is good, is, like both yeah. of
0: those are just yeah, there's yeah. no negative or positive to either one of them. It's just different another
1: another great uh comparison is your fondness for parasite versus my fondness for memories of murder mm-hmm. which parasite is one of the most beautifully efficient, straightforward non fat movies ever, and memories of murder is like, do we have scenes where they are just hammered at a bar? vomiting into cups. Oh, but I like crazy. it because it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's the it's the classic Mike stoklasa J bomb and dynamic.
0: Uh to dynamic. continue on this tangent, we're gonna make this podcast more of a tangential, a Fargo rather than a Chinatown. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yes. But god damn it, when are they gonna release the memories of murder I know criteria? I I am overdue <sighs> for a rewatch and I was gonna wait and now yeah. I, I just I might just go and rewatch it. The th-
1: because e- I feel like the last few releases, there's been one where I'm like, oh, whoa, Ghost Dog, Oh, Minding the Gap. But every time I just get more disappointed because I'm like now with the with the latest releases or whatever, I'm like, OK, so now I'm going to go the entirety of 2020 without even seeing it. It's it, It's got to be soon because that is one of my most anticipated criteria.
0: February, maybe, hopefully going to schedule it for. Release like right around the uh flash sale in February. I hope to drum so. up hype. Yeah. Cause they they usually do that. They usually announce something big around that time.
1: Yeah. When that comes out, are we gonna discuss it?
0: Oh, of course. Okay. Yeah. Of
1: course. We should do we should do a pairing. The classic memories of murder zodiac pairing. Hmm.
0: We'll see if I'm in the mood for Zodiac again. Okay. Oh, you
1: watched you watched it kind of recently, didn't
0: you? Kind of. I think like five months ago. Oh yeah. We'll see. But that, but that could that could be 10 months or that could be two months in yeah. 2020 time. That, that's true. But yeah, Chinatown. <laughs> Chinatown.
1: That's the thing is that like I, I fail it's hard for me to describe what I like about this. Because I like everything about this, but it's it's one of those things where I really, really like everything, but there's nothing that I love
0: about it. So when you put it that way, yeah, when you describe your preference for film in that in that slightly different way than i have i understand completely why you give it four and a half stars and i'm, I'm really happy that in this conversation i was worried you were going to come <laughs> to me with some kind of issue with the film you had no, found. i have none <laughs> and so i'm really I, i'm satisfied with this like l- direction that this has took yeah it's too whereas perfect. you're just you you are admitting it's perfection but there's yeah. something that isn't quite there for you and which I, I completely understand. <laughs> I, I approve of your opinion. Thank you. Not that. Thank you God.
1: <laughs> but no, yeah, I do love the, the one thing that strikes that jumps out to me more than anything is the performances. Cause this is like this era is peak Jack Nicholson.
0: This is Jack Nicholson's best
1: performance. You think mm-hmm. so? I can't say that over one floor of the cuckoo's nest.
0: I'm going to say it's either this or one floor Over the cuckoo's nest. There's not really Yeah. Those no, are the I top agree. 2.
1: Um because he fits that noir protagonist so well cuz the noir protagonist is not like the action hero. He's not super good looking. He ha- he's charming. He's maybe a little rough around the edges, but he's charming. But that and that is like the that is the thesis statement to Jack Nicholson as an actor. He's rough around the edges, but he's charming. He's the only person who can make that hairline look good. And I love his suits in this movie. The man's
0: got some great suits in this movie. I love a particular decision that I think worked well is when you see a pinstripe suit, you think serious business, right? Yes. Okay. The scene where him and Evelyn Mulray sit down at the lunch place where like the film starts getting serious about her side of the story. Yeah. That's when he's that's when he wears the pinstripe suit and kind of like shifts from his earlier kind of like flashy suits. Yeah. I don't know. I thought that was a good costume decision for that no. particular scene.
1: I, uh, I gotta say, as far as like director actors go, John Houston's up there with like David mm. Lynch for me, where, Even if he has just one line, his one line in Sierra Madre or like the two times he shows up. I love John Huston as an actor because he has this this persona that is completely his own, his manner of speaking, his charm, his old school type feel to him, which feels really good in like a noir, neo-noir story Mm -hmm. where it's it's a
0: the time authority yes yes he's He's, someone who is in charge in both real life yeah and he's playing a character in charge so it's just kind of like his presence embodies the character
1: and i think that's where the movie gets really interesting is when he shows up um but yeah yeah this is i don't want to compare it to vertigo but i'm going to compare it to vertigo or Vertigo is similar when it's just a kind of a movie where we just follow a guy as he you know starts to come up and figure things out for himself.
0: Well it is it is like Vertigo also, because both of these films are almost obsessive about the point of view of the film is from the main character. Yeah. And no one else. Like it never deviates from uh Giddy's as like the point of view. We're with him the shots are often point of view shots slightly like from behind him or following him. Never know anything that he doesn't know. Mm-hmm.
1: There's also like, there's very few moments of violence in this movie, mm-hmm. but when it happens, it's always like oh.
0: his nose getting cut. Always the famous uh, nose cutting scene with Roman Polanski. Yeah. The, yeah. Another, his another fun director. Cameo. Roman
1: Polanski with an amazing accent.
0: Oh, Roman <laughs> Oh, God. Part of me really. (laughs) Like, I feel icky talking about Roman Polanski and all that. Just because of the stuff that he has been accused of. And anyway.
1: Some minor controversy. Get it? Minor. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs)
0: That was too good. I hate
1: it. Uh, Oh, no.
0: Don't spend money. Here's my recommendation, dear viewer. Don't spend money on Chinatown, but watch it. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's you know I I struggle with that um that that separating art from artist thing a lot. But when it comes to movies, there's just so much talent that isn't the director going into movies that I can't. I'm a lot more forgiving with stuff like this. So his him his personal life has not factored in any way to my enjoyment. Um,
0: but yeah, yeah to get onto more less less.
1: Yeah, this movie syntax. um more than any other movie cuz you know, I feel like most noirs go from like there's a gradual descent, you know, when things start becoming new when new shit has come to light, it it sort of gradually takes on this darker tone. I feel like Chinatown throws it all at you in like the last 10 minutes.
0: Oh yeah, I was going to say that when they go to Chinatown, there's like there's like a bass <coughs> drop. And you're like, oh shit, we're going here now. Who knows it's, something's going
1: down? When I feel like it's when Mulray gives that big reveal, the big plot twist. That's when instead of the gradual descent, it just goes boom. Straight into that. Which it is real shit,
0: a gradual descent, sort of. But it's, it's like just that it's more like he gets in so deep, but mm-hmm. doesn't realize it. Yeah. That he always thinks he's on top of the situation. And, like, he's asking questions and he's finding answers, which lead to more questions. Yeah. And so he he feels like he is steadily getting to a better understanding of this situation. And then there's, like, one, two, three. First, there's the Evelyn Mulray, uh, her reveal to him, which is kind of, like, the biggest, like...
1: That's the thing everybody remembers from this movie.
0: Yeah. That's the big, like, I see dead people Mm -hmm. moment. I love how he arrives at that scene. He's like, I know what's going on. This bitch has been stringing me along. I've had it with her. And then he realizes, oh, wasn't like that at all. Yeah. And he it's his kind of ego as a detective Mm -hmm. that kind of leads the plot into this disastrous third act. Because there is a, a scenario where they this didn't happen, where he where Evelyn Mulray survives and escapes quite easily. But the way that Jake handles it and with Noah Cross getting into the picture, like him confronting him, needing the needing to confront Noah Cross with what he knows. Yeah. That's where like he goes wrong. He shouldn't have done that. Don't go anywhere near Noah Cross. And that's when it gets to the end to that last scene, as you said. Now you finally kind of understand, Oh. (laughs) He he has no control over the situation whatsoever. Never did.
1: But the thing about that to get back to the writing, that big that big reveal, that plot twist. It's one of those plot twists that um like it, it makes complete sense. I feel like anyone who sees it the first time will not see that coming. And it's one of those few plot twists that change the story in such a way, but while also still if anything, heightening stuff before it, because you pick up on these little details that don't seem obvious at all in the moment, but then you hear it and you're like, Oh, okay. I get it. It's kind of like the, the big fight club reveal Mm -hmm. that it's just, you know, it's just the amazing screenwriting.
0: One of the things I really noticed this time around is how soon you could figure out the mystery in Chinatown. Yeah. If you're smart enough to look for it. And I don't think (laughs) it's properly obscured to where I don't think anyone on a first viewing would really know. Mm -hmm. Everything, everything is there within like the first 30 minutes of the film to to kind of really figure it out. Like it's, it's almost, let me, let me pull up where I, because I wrote down the progression of facts is so almost on the nose when you like lay them out. Yeah. Mulray, the first scene is we see, after he gets the the task to to find out who Mulray is seeing, we see Mulray giving this at the the city council meeting, mm-hmm. and he's talking about he won't build the dam, and he's being he's heckled that he's being paid off that there's something nefarious going on. Yeah, the very next scene is a dry creek bed. There's no water. Mm-hmm. Los Angeles is in a, is in a drought. Then he goes to the ocean where they're dumping water, <laughs> so there is water, and then to even further hammer it home, Giddys is looking at a paper. is like, LA is running out of water. Mm-hmm. And then then very like, this is one scene after another scene after another. And then the next scene is a picture of Mulray arguing with Noah cross. Like if you distill each scene into like, what's the point of the scene? If you do a slideshow. What is the fact that is being yeah. revealed here? And you looked at those five things like, Oh, okay. no, yeah mulray is angry at noah cross Mm -hmm. and from there you can make the logical assumption noah cross has something to do with the murder but that's the thing is
1: um uh this is is the difference between mystery and suspense Mm -hmm. um whereas like again to bring up fargo you know exactly what's going on from the beginning in fargo and marge Gunderson doesn't so you're seeing her how she picks it all together but th- in this movie, the like
0: absurdity of putting it together.
1: <laughs> in this movie, like I always find it really impressive when you can craft a mystery where the protagonist is neither ahead of you or you're not ahead of him. Mm-hmm. You're learning as he is learning, you're figuring out as he figures it out. And most people would come to the realization when he does, which is what makes that moment so powerful. Because he sees it as you see it. You're both Feeling the same exact emotion at the same exact time, which is really impressive. But again, if you were to look at this, you know, first time and you were to pause the movie at these specific scenes and and then you make your cork board. Putting scenes, you can figure it out, but it's that constant pace, that motion where he's settling it with
0: it as you are. It's just and the great thing is, is that Giddys makes the wrong he comes to the wrong conclusion about the facts at multiple points mm-hmm. and the first obvious one is he see he takes the photo of mulray and the daughter the not his daughter i don't know uh, Catherine? Catherine. Yes. Catherine. yeah and makes the assumption that they were lovers mm-hmm. which most people couldn't, couldn't yes yes <laughs> easy like the the other great thing about the mystery is that it's so obvious and yet it's not obvious because you don't think assumptions that that Giddy's makes are easy assumptions to make. Yeah, exactly. And like you can make those assumptions, but they also they're wrong in retrospect because they ignore facts.
1: Yeah. They're, they're wrong, but they're not unbelievable.
0: Right. And in the very beginning of the film, you're following mulray and you're so concerned with oh who is he having affair with what he's acting strange what's going on Mm -hmm. and you think it's because the affair or whatever the young girl which is a distraction from the fact that oh it's really not about the girl at all it's about the water which like when you watch the film for the first time who who thinks it's about the water I mean, that's the
1: boring part. Who
0: cares? Which uh, actually it's the most interesting part, but well, I mean, I love the fact that this is like it's directly dealing with the history of Los Angeles of the water, water and power and all that. But it's a purely fictional story about that because Mulray is essentially Mulholland who Mulholland Drive is named after a guy named Mulholland guy who uh, operated water and power in Mm. the city's formative years Mm. but i didn't know know that yeah no it's based on a lot of actual stuff yeah but obscured and kind of created in an entirely fictional way and uh but i do like it it does like like inherent vice it does like set up the time period quite well but also very subtly like in the, the city council scene you see fdr Portrait in the background, mm-hmm. like that's that's a big like. Oh, that's when we are. It also, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. This is the tail end of the Great Depression. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, interesting time. Well, th- you know, it, it's crazy to me because um this is a movie that it sets up the 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 setting, the time period, really well. But when you like really look at all the scenes, you never have like in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where you have that scene where Brad Pitt's driving down that street and. The entire street has been redecorated to look like the 60s and 70s. Chinatown, it mainly takes place in like big desert areas where you could easily tweak a few things to make it look like the 60s because it's still a big desert. It takes place in homes that you can easily redecorate, sets like offices. It's not a very expansive movie, but they get those little details so right that it feels a lot more expansive than it actually is. Um, and as far as like playing on the noir elements, obviously when you you set your movie in daytime Los Angeles, you're not going to get those same nighttime shots that noir is so famous for, but they really managed to hit the iconography of the noir really well by just having those harsh shadows, but created by sunlight. Like there's a lot of shots in this movie where they're just walking and they have those hats over their head and the shadows like completely obscure the top half of their face. And it's really striking and it still fits within the noir thing, but it's it's daylight noir. It's sunny noir. And it's like the most it's one of the most L.A. movies ever
0: in mm-hmm. that respect.
1: Just not only in its you know visual language, but in the the content of the plot, stuff like that. It's 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 up there with like. L.A. Confidential, which I guess is cheating. L.A. Confidential is cheating. <laughs> it is Chinatown is to L.A. what Taxi Driver is to New York, I feel. Mm. Hmm.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that I was. uh I listened to the commentary on Chinatown because yeah, the Blu-ray, right? Yeah, I watched Chinatown earlier in the year, maybe like two months ago. So not too long ago. <laughs> I don't know. Earlier year in the year, as in, oh, okay. In I summer. thought you meant the earlier
1: section of the year, not the eighth month of the year. Continue.
0: I watched it relatively recently, yes, so yes, I was yes. like, yeah. Yeah, well, let's do something new so I, I listen to the commentary as i've been doing a lot for this podcast i've been really enjoying that uh getting more motivation to listen to uh commentaries and the commentary is with david fincher and robert david- town wow david fincher does the commentary wow that's crazy and it was really interesting hearing robert town describe the film when was it recorded it. i don't know i have to i have to Think like early two thousands. Yeah,
1: it would have to be some time where David Fincher was a
0: bigger name. So post seven, maybe it. W- it was most certainly after Fight Club because he references Fight Club. Oh, okay, but that's the only time. I think Robert
1: Town has to be dead at this point. No,
0: he's like eighty four.
1: Oh, okay, good for him.
0: Continue. He doesn't sound old in the commentary either. So that's. It's interesting hearing Robert Town describe the making of the film and how him and Roman Polanski, he very clearly states that they didn't really know that they had anything special on their hands. Like they weren't sure this film was going to work. It reminds me of
1: Casablanca in that way. Yeah. Where it's just so pitch perfect. I can understand why somebody would like anyone working on it. Like, oh, yeah, this is a movie. They're not doing anything crazy.
0: But Casablanca, I think, is a lot easier for someone to look at it during like knowing the the filmmaking process. Yeah. That's that seems like a lot easier where you could dismiss it as just another thing. Yeah, this seems like you're making this film with Jack Nicholson <laughs> giving this performance, and you think you don't have a great movie. But that was that was really interesting uh, to hear that they were they were very conservative in their estimates of how this film was going to do.
1: I think that's the case with most really big ones.
0: Yeah, Town in particular with his script wasn't aware of how well it was operating, like yeah he was like oh this is i like this script that i've written and then people come to him later like this is like one of the best scripts ever written He's like,
1: okay yeah what's funny is that i actually got the feeling of that too because like it, when you look at the the timeline of events that happens in the the script i can see how it was crafted in sequence where they make one scene and they think, oh, where should we go next? Oh, this makes sense. Oh, this makes sense. And this makes sense because that's the beauty of the script is everything makes sense. It's mm-hmm. like every scene is directly tied to the next one. So you can see a writer's be like, OK, so we have all of this stuff. Where do we go from here? OK, OK. And I can see how it would be made so effortlessly. But it's just amazing to me that in retrospect, how unconsciously great it all is. And that that doesn't surprise me, but it does at the same time. Because it is the gold standard. Mm -hmm. Every screenplay class I've ever taken. That's like one of the first things that make you read.
0: Of course. Interesting little little tidbits that I found on this most recent watch. Some of them are really fun. One of them is I noticed that I after uh, Mrs. Mrs. Mulray picks Giddies up from the orchard. Yeah, after he's been knocked out and they're driving to the the old folks home. And in that driving sequence, it's a clear it's a rear screen projection. Yes. Of like sunset twilight in the background and they're driving. And I think it's it's kind of clearly rear screen projection, but it might be one of my favorite visually. Like, I like works. rear
1: screen projection. I do. Too. I know it doesn't look good, but I like it.
0: I think that looks really good actually.
1: Well, okay, it's not that it doesn't look good. I know it looks fake. But I like that about it. And some look more fake than others. Psycho looks really fake. Yeah. But I this like it.
0: didn't. This one. I'm trying to say like, it looks fake, here. but not like it, it was on that board. It's
1: like it's like um, uh, Colonel Blimp, the battlefield and Colonel Blimp. Like no yeah. one who watches that thinks, oh, my God, are they at a real World War II battlefield? No, it, you, it's, it's like the fucking Ed Woods set. The trees are like cardboard,
0: but it sure. looks great. And you move on. Yeah, because it looks good and yeah. you're just in the scene but here's the fun thing the footage the background rear screen projection footage loops it plays twice the same thing does it and i've <laughs> never noticed until this time around and it was, I was like, what the fuck they're playing the same thing again that was really fun <laughs> to watch so next time you watch it look out for that quick tangent um
1: one of my favorite moments of uh rear screen projection ever is um in Black Dynamite, they have a scene where they're driving the car and the rear screen projection takes these giant turns, but the steering, <laughs> he doesn't move the steering wheel at all. Tangent over.
0: Continue. No, no, no. Another really great rear screen projection, kind of like that, but played more seriously, is in Alfred Hitchcock's Notorious, where Ingrid Bergman is, is in the beginning of the film, she's drunk. Mm. and driving with cary grant in the passenger seat and it just whoever was driving for the footage was just like voom, voom, <laughs> voom. and she's just she's clearly like kind of turning it yeah it's not as obvious as like the black dynamite one but it's still like <laughs> you're not you're, no one's driving this recklessly
1: There, there's, there's, I can't remember the movie that I've seen, but I've seen a rear screen projection where they keep going, but the actual rear screen projection, the car in it comes to a stop at a traffic light. (laughs) But they keep going. (laughs) Point is, rear screen projection is fun. Always do it. I don't care what Nick says about True Grit.
0: It's fun. See, that, that one I admit is problematic, Ah. but no, no, no. But why are you, why is he so hung up on it? I don't know. I it's don't fine. know. It's fine. At, at Even the very f- least, it ruins maybe 30, 20 seconds of your viewing experience and then move on. It has nothing to do with the plot or the characters or anything that is of substance. It's one of those things where um, it's
1: kind of like uh, in the original Star Wars, the stormtrooper hitting their head on the, the <laughs> door. Where it's yeah. like, yeah, it's, it's a clear break in the facade of the film, but it's funny. It gives it character. I don't Mm. know. Uh, Yeah. Anyways, real projection. Good Chinatown. Good.
0: Yes. I'm looking through my notes, seeing if there's anything else interesting to. To note.
1: The ending is very bleak.
0: Famously. This is one of a very few films where I I got first time I watched it, I got to the end. and I didn't know what to do with my life after that point. I was just like in this real deep state of like melancholia that the film put me in.
1: Yeah. And it hits you. But it's like one of those things, again, it's not a gradual thing. It's it's 30 it hits seconds like it's to a punch. Admit, It's just, it is a big punch and it just leaves you there. <laughs> doesn't help you up.
0: No. And it, it's really cool that that last scene is essentially almost real time. There's very little cutting. Yeah. You get to Chinatown and it, it's almost played entirely through to its conclusion and then it's just like okay bye yeah it's chinatown
1: it's chinatown it's also a great last line I, I always find it funny that that line is delivered by like essentially an extra
0: <laughs> it's in it for a few scenes
1: can you think of a a more famous line uttered by just such a non-character <laughs> yes
0: what no no like like if you were to ask someone yeah forget it jake it's chinatown who says it
1: no, nope. I don't know the character's name. I don't know the actor. It's a it's one of the most famous lines of all time, but it's said by essentially nobody. Like maybe if it was if it was the uh, the police chief or whatever, the police officer that he used to work with, that's now kind of like taking him in. That would make sense. But it's like literally a guy. It makes sense. But up. I think
0: the actor is perfect for that. that no, he though.
1: is. He is. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm, I just find it
0: funny. I am. I'm thinking of Citizen Kane now. And the final like monologue about how Rosebud doesn't. We may never know what Rosebud is. Maybe Rosebud is this. And you're like, who's the guy that says that?
1: (laughs) Is that even one of the more famous lines from Citizen Kane, though?
0: No, but it is a famous ending sequence. Oh,
1: another tangent. One more tangent.
0: Mank looks incredible. Oh, yes. I'm very excited for Mank. We're getting another David Fincher film. It's black and white. Gary Oldman. It's a classic Hollywood-esque story.
1: Not only is it a classic Hollywood-esque story, but the presentation is... He has mimicked the the 30s, 40s aesthetic so well. I there's two trailers that were released. One of them, the sound was a lot grainier. Where part of me is like, I hope that's how the whole movie sounds, but I can see how people would not like that. Hmm. They have that one shot where he kind of has like those those faded hallucination things, the numbers around his head, the like super long lens close-up of him. It like, doesn't matter. Tangent over, Mank looks good. I forget what we we're talking about. Chinatown,
0: yes. You know what I've never really- thought about in chinatown is that evelyn mulray probably you don't know for certain but she probably knows that noah cross killed her husband yeah like she's probably aware of that the entire time which is interesting and i maybe next time i'll I'll watch the film through that lens
1: well you, you get the you get the feeling that she knows she's powerless So it's one of those things that she's kind of like accepted but yeah no you're right she definitely knows john houston doesn't care that's that's what makes the ending so powerful. Is that John Houston is like a huge monster in the most charming way, and every it's it's all happening in front of you, not just in front of you, but in front of everybody in the movie, and only Jake really
0: understands what's going on. Well, you've spent so long trying to figure out who who the monster is, and you find out, You're like oh my god, something needs to be done about this guy.
1: Also, I'm I'm just saying that John Houston in this movie would have had carnal relations with his daughter of a very young age directed by Roman Polanski. It's like, it's like, it's like the fact that Kevin Spacey is a horrible person, but that kind of makes his role in American beauty, all the more interesting.
0: That dynamic. I think that's why house of cards still works. (laughs) 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 it's because like the first scene is like oh he kills a dog he's a shitty person like oh i see you kevin spacey it's one of those things house of
1: cards works better american beauty works better baby driver baby driver works better. it's (laughs) it's funnier it's a lot funnier it it is funnier what's the what's the cat movie he did
0: (laughs) (laughs) nine lives or something (laughs) works way better i don't know something about kevin spacey i it, it's weird describing how uh, some of his performances are better now Be- that he's been revealed. Because Kevin Spacey
1: as this is just a, a, a person that always made me uncomfortable. Mm. He's an unsettling face and attitude that now that he's even more unsettling. Like let's not forget, not only did he you know do that horrible thing. Remember that fucking video he made?
0: <laughs> yeah, vaguely, and I don't I don't like it. No, nope. remembering it,
1: it's terrible. It's one of the most bizarre things to happen in the last few years, which has been one of the most bizarre times in world history. But yeah, tangent over. Ironically enough, our discussion of Chinatown is not very streamlined and efficient.
0: Kevin Spacey, I don't need him to act anymore. No. what I have. I can enjoy. <laughs> Please don't hold that against me. Uh. Uh, so, Yeah we were talking about protagonists in neo-noir. And I think that JJ Gittes is another reason why this is one of the best noirs is he's, he's an actually interesting deep kind of character that you can dig I into agree. on, on repeated viewings. And it, it's really fun watching because he, in the beginning of the film and kind of throughout the film, he is a bit of a comedian or styles himself as kind of this vulgar That joke Uh, does always make me laugh. Doesn't take things too seriously. One of my favorite first lines in the film is like, all right, Kirby, enough is enough. You can't eat the Venetian blinds. (laughs) (laughs) And then he just like the fake Mrs. Mulray comes to him and she's like, I think my husband's having an affair. No, really? (laughs) Just like this sassy person.
1: You know, as this, this movie has great dialogue. Can I just say a line that always I thought was kind of dumb? I like my nose. I like breathing through it. I don't know why. That's lying. I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> no, that's fine. Okay. No, it's, again, it's like one of those things that like, it's weird that somebody that it, it went from, from thought to hand to script to movie. It, it didn't change anywhere in that process. Whatever. Okay. It's not even a problem. It's just one of those things. that I'm like, okay.
0: But there's more like great little characterization things are like, at the the town hall meeting get uh yawns because he's bored he looks over to the guy next to him like isn't this shit boring (laughs) and the old guy just like gives him this straight stare and i love that
1: they bring the farm animals into that scene yeah i always forget about that
0: this is where like this film does have some personality because there is it's not like this one note serious drama yeah Giddis does have this kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. fun side to him. And he's like, y- you can clearly tell that he's kind of cocky. He's not taking it fully seriously. And then uh, on repeat viewings, you're like, man, you got to be taking this shit more seriously. You don't know where you're headed. But to be fair, the-
1: all of his cases before are like, OK, they're very
0: simple. They're very simple. They're not world
1: shattering. You know, you yeah. have a few people. Uh, they get hurt Well, except for
0: that Chinatown case when he was back on well, force.
1: And also a little detail. I don't want to say I like because it's not good, but it does make me laugh is when he revisits the character from the beginning. The one with the, the cheating wife. He shows up and she's got like a black eye. Later in the movie, I'm just like, oh. <laughs> OK.
0: All right, Roman. <laughs> <laughs> like, I guess
1: I, I know this was in the 70s and, you know, it took place in the 30s where I'm just like. Oh so uh yeah does it deserve to be on the list
0: i'll continue well we'll get to that question i just wanted to say that uh, i think one of the best if i were like pull out lines from history not like not great not iconic lines yeah but well acted singular lines that are just kind of like really standout pieces of acting and good lines is when uh faye, faye dunway also is excellent in this film. oh yeah and her line when she says it's very personal it couldn't be more personal <laughs> her delivery in that i think is one of my favorite like line deliveries ever mm. just instantly sells you that like, Giddy's is like digging into something that is so infinitely personal that probably shouldn't but but he is yeah
1: no she's great too she she had a real strong streak uh, this time in, in the seventies. so what did she win for? Did she win for network. No, who did anyone win for network?
0: Yeah, yeah the the wife, best supporting oh, actress. Yeah, she's in well, like two scenes.
1: That's oh. Well, speaking of best supporting actor in just a few scenes, the uh, also from network was um, uh Ned Beatty, whose only scene is the the world is a business monologue and he gets Balloon. nominated. <laughs> I love that. That's one of the best monologues ever. Am I getting through to you, Mr. Beale?
0: All right. Uh, uh, her first Academy nomination. She received her first Academy nomination for Bonnie and Clyde. I figured that. She earned her second nomination for Chinatown. And she won the Academy Award for Best Actress for Network. So. Okay. So it's on the, the BFI list and I fully 100% deserves to be there. In fact, I think it probably deserves to be a bit higher. than where Oh, it yeah.
1: Let's say 84 seems low. Um, ask me.
0: What do you think it deserves to be on the BFI list? Generally? Jake,
1: it's Chinatown.
0: Forget it. Forget it.
1: OK, guess I won't ask. Yeah, no, it it does. Because, again, it's one of those things that, yeah, it's not like my favorite. And it's 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 perfect to a fault. It's not really perfect to a fault, but like, I mean, how could you not put a movie this good, this efficient, this flawless on here, especially one that is I mean, I'll say on paper, it's probably the greatest noir I've seen, mm-hmm. um, although I will say next criterion sale. I think another thing that I would like to discuss if it's not already on here. Uh, I really want to watch The Sweet Smell of Success. Hmm.
0: It's not on here. Okay, then yeah, maybe some, maybe sometime. Speaking of stuff that is on here, what is next?
1: Yeah, I don't even know. This is, this is one of my favorite parts of the podcast is I never know until you tell me.
2: Next week or next
0: episode, the, the children of paradise. It's a long movie. Oh God. 1945 (laughs) French Marcel Carnet. I've heard really good things on a uh, uh, Criterion subreddit and stuff. Yeah. So Children of Paradise. I've been meaning to watch it and it's daunted me for its length. But now now I get to watch it. This is how long are we talking? Three hours.
1: Yeah. OK, so, uh, hey, it's not greed. I'm glad that we got to greed so early on, because now every movie after this, I can go at
0: least it's not greed. This is one, two. I'm trying to count how many I have left that I haven't seen. Two, three. Oh no! What? I found a new Godard one. No, no. I didn't. I didn't see before. Of four films I have not seen on the list. Wow! This is four. So I'll. Yeah, there'll be three left after this. Oh, interesting. That's how I I know
1: Gooby's one.
0: Yeah. We have a little, little more ways. I think it's at like fifty three or something. So, we
1: are we gonna do another uh, pairing with this? Or are we just gonna?
0: I think this is one that I, since I don't have enough context about what it is, I'm not sure how we can pair it. True. Unless you wanted, <laughs> unless you want to do Children of Men. <laughs> Children of Men, uh, Paradise Lost, Cinema Paradiso, Children of the Corn, a French film stranger than paradise oh stranger than paradise no I don't know what we would pair with this so we can we can do something something we're feeling up to